Stacey, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I am going to sort of start off by letting you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about where you went to college, what you majored in, um, and maybe like where you are now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm Stacy Hetzel. I um, I went to Middlebury College and studied chemistry there. I was really interested in the natural sciences and mathematics. And so like the obvious two choices were like physics or chemistry and chemistry just really clicked for me. Um, and I've taken kind of a long detour through like different education channels. I did a master's degree and then started a PhD and then ended up leaving a PhD and leaving with a master's. So I have two master's degrees and now I work at a startup um, and uh, slightly use my education in chemistry. Um, the startup is called Polygents and it's a research or project um, mentorship program. So we match high school students with expert mentors to take on their own kind of independent project. And so it could look like a podcast um, where a student is, you know, an example is a student who's like really interested in Alzheimer's because her mother uh, or her grandmother, sorry, has Alzheimer's disease. And she wants to understand like, what is memory? And she wants to understand that not just from like um, a neuroscience level, which is like so interesting and so important, but also like what is memory kind of at a philosophical level. And so she crafts this podcast about the neuroscience of memory and weaves stories about Alzheimer's into it. Um, it could also look like building a robot, right? So like there are students who come in, they want to take on a project to learn about a discipline or learn a skill set, and we match them with, you know, a PhD candidate who's studying Alzheimer's or an engineer um, so that students feel supported and get a lot of quick feedback on the work that they're doing. Very cool. And yeah. before we jump in more to sort of like polygens and what you're doing now, um, when did you graduate college and while you were in college, maybe what were some of the extracurriculars you did and are they still relevant to what you're doing now? Yeah, um, so uh, I graduated college in 2015 and my extracurriculars is a good question. So I actually, this is an unconventional answer. Um, I actually started undergraduate at USC, University of Southern California, and transferred to Middlebury my sophomore year. Um, and kind of my extracurricular, my freshman year, was figuring out how to transfer and how to do that successfully. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, that, again, that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's totally true. What I did my freshman year, instead of, like, going to class, I found class was, like, such a waste of time, um, was, like, figure out, okay, like, what is the best college for me? Because, like, this is clearly not working. Like, I could just read the textbook and take the test, and that was a lot better than, like, sitting through hours of lecture classes all day. And so I had never heard of these small liberal arts colleges and like went on a deep dive on like, how do you transfer in? And it turns out it's like not straightforward because at big schools, like, you know, you don't have to live on campus. There's no like real cap to how many students they can admit, but at these small liberal arts colleges, it's like, well, is there a bed for you? Um, so I, I did a lot of research on like, how do I get into one of these small liberal arts colleges? And I uh, did a lot of cold emailing. And I would say like, that was my first foray into like startup life is just cold emailing starting my freshman year of college. Um, and then once I got to Middlebury, so happy there. Um, and, you know, was really 
bright-eyed and bushy-tailed like the minute I stepped on campus and then the transfer orientation process was just like awful because like there's only 10 of us um it was I mean it wasn't awful like it was just grouped with all the freshmen but I was like I'm not a freshman like I don't need like a, a web a seminar on like how to talk to professors or whatever like you know like and like these are not the people I'm living with like I I'm a sophomore I want to meet my people like I want to meet uh, like the people who are going to be in my upper level classes. And so um, one thing I took on at Middlebury was just like building out a robust um, transfer student and exchange student orientation program because uh, exchange students are kind of in the same boat. They're not freshmen. They don't need kind of like the same handholding, um, but they want to meet people their own age in college. Um, so that was one of the big things I did. Um, another big extracurricular I did was work in the admissions office um, and I was a senior fellow there my senior year where I was like giving, I was not only giving tours, but I was giving like the informational seminars and um, helping review a few applications. Cool. My name is Sarah Seymour and I graduated from Yale University in 2018. Like a lot of 20-somethings, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do when I graduated. I remember literally googling what do people do all day and feeling like unless I conducted a ton of informational interviews, there was no really good way to figure out what different jobs were like. I remember when I was applying to college, there was the Fisk Guide to Colleges, which was this book that described different colleges, what size they were, what the vibe was on campus, and so on and so forth. And all I wanted was for that to exist, but for careers. So this podcast is my best effort to create that through a series of informational interviews. I'll be interviewing people anywhere between three and 10 years out of college across different industries to try to help you get a sense of different career paths. Just like you, these people have gone to liberal arts colleges and universities and weren't exactly sure what they wanted to do afterwards. The only difference is they're a few years out of college and can give you the inside scoop on what they were looking for, how they found their jobs, and how it turned out. And so when you graduated, you went right into your master's program. Good question. So I did apply to PhD programs basically right away. And I decided to defer because I just wasn't quite sure if that's what I wanted to do. Um, my, my professor at Middlebury really encouraged me to go to graduate school and I'm really grateful to her for doing that, but I just like, it didn't sit right with me. And so I was looking for other things to do. And I, you know, my parents don't have like, uh, typical like careers in that sense. Like they started small businesses and were very entrepreneurial. Um, and so I didn't know what to do and not, nothing kind of made sense to me. So I did a different graduate program because I didn't think chemistry was a graduate program I wanted to do. And I went to this tiny uh, liberal arts college in Annapolis, Maryland called St. John's College to read the great books of Western civilization. And the reason why I did this is because I had just gone through four years of uh, a chemistry undergrad major. I had taken like Newtonian physics, you know, three times by that point, And I had never read a single word from Newton. And I was like, that seems really off base. Like how, like, why am I learning the sciences from all these second and third hand, fifth hand, hundredth hand sources? Like I want to go to the root and that's what St. John's does. So they go to the root, not only in uh, the sciences, but also the humanities. You read Aristotle and Plato and Dostoevsky and you read Darwin and you read 
um, you know, Heidegger and Kant. And so um, I went there for a year and a half to read the great books before, you know, I deferred my PhD and then I went to my PhD afterwards. And this is incidentally how we know each other because exactly I, for, for the background of the listeners, when I was a senior in college, I was a philosophy major and did a sort of like senior seminar where you listen to other people's presentations on their thesis. And Stacy was my mentor. <laughs> and I remember when I got paired with you, I was like, why do I have a chemistry PhD student as my philosophy mentor? But that was how you ended up as my mentor. And I was so grateful because I just got, you know, I was transitioning from this environment where it was like open inquiry, interdisciplinary, like frankly, no disciplines and just reading these great books. And I went into like a hardcore niche PhD program in chemistry. And I like was missing the conversations and the intellectual discussions kind of beyond the sciences. And I was so grateful that they paired us together. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So, um, in you so you you'd applied to this chemistry PhD, got in, and also had applied to this other. What was the like name of the masters? Yeah, it's called a master's in the liberal arts okay. from St. John's College. You would never go. I mean, maybe you would go to get the degree, but like I really went there to get the curriculum, which I think is a little unusual in education these days. Yeah, but so okay, okay. So you you applied to these two programs. You deferred the chemistry PhD to do this master's in liberal arts studies. Yeah, and what would like how was applying to that while you were in college for, for people who are thinking that they might want to go straight through and get a graduate degree? What was that process yeah. like for you? That's a good question. So I, now I'm remembering that I actually didn't apply. I applied to the graduate program at St. John's while I was in college. And that was a very straightforward process. Like I had to write an essay on um, why I was interested in attending, but it wasn't uh, like, I don't think I needed to send in my GRE scores or anything like that. So it was like a lot more calming. And so I took like uh, I graduated Middlebury in May, 2015 um, with the goal of starting that second grad program actually in January. So I had like a six month window and that in that six month window, I applied to chemistry PhD programs, um, which it was like perfect timing. So um, I took the GRE, studied and took the GRE in that time and wrote all my applications right after undergrad um, before starting the master's program in January. Okay, awesome. And so the master's program was one year or two years? It was about a year and a half. Like you, there's a little bit of flexibility in pacing, but it takes between a year and a half and two years. Um, and just for anyone like listening, who's thinking about going to grad school, and I bet you can attest to this too, Sarah, like taking just a beat, like take a beat after you graduate, you'll be so much better prepared. Even if you like work at Lululemon for the year, like you will yeah. be in such a better headspace. You will, um, appreciate the grad program 10 times more. You won't be like wrapped up in kind of the, the same mindset you were in undergrad where like maybe you were on a grind for certain grades or you were on a grind for a certain extracurricular, like you just get to reset. And I think you're a better student and the professors appreciate you more and you build, build better relationships. So like, that's just a small plug for taking some time to yourself. Yeah, no, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. I, I think, uh, at least my hope is that having taken a year before law school is, is going to make me better prepared. It will. So, okay. So then you, you started this chemistry PhD and my recollection is that you like figured out 
pretty quickly that you did not want to be a professor. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think I had the benefit of like spending at least like a year prior at St. John's where I was seeing like other professors and just thinking about what it takes to make it in academia. Um, and I was in a program, like if I stayed in my program, I could be like a chemist advisor or something like that. I don't know. Like I could yeah. find another job, but like, I really went in with the mindset of like, I love learning. I love education. I love working with students. I want to be a professor. I loved my small liberal arts college. Maybe I'll do something there, but like the, the cost benefit analysis, uh, didn't quite add up. It's a lot of time to invest. It's not just a PhD program. You then got to do a postdoc. Uh, and like everyone else wants this, like everyone around you wants the same exact job. It's just not like a, a winning scenario. And, and the fact is there are just so many great jobs out there that we don't hear about. And I think that's partially why you're doing this podcast. Like, uh, yeah, like if you're interested in education, even like there's just the opportunities are abundant. And so we like kind of pigeonhole ourselves in, in things we've seen, which is like institutions and education kind of in the classroom, but there's a lot more out there. And I, I figured that out pretty quickly. Yeah. So then how did you start going about looking into pivoting to something else? Did you know that you wanted to go work at a startup or was that no? <laughs> yeah, I no. Well, I, I mean, I knew I loved like I would say at the time I would call it like working for myself because I love like taking a problem and solving it. I love kind of structuring my day. I love kind of the autonomy and independence that I would classify as working for yourself, but that's a lot what a startup is like. Um, and so I started by cold emailing people again, like going back to my freshman year in college. I remember I like cold LinkedIn, uh, the science lead at Khan Academy. <laughs> and I was just like, hi, I think Khan Academy is awesome. Like, do you want to talk to me? <laughs> um, I, I think I crafted it a little bit better than that, but, um, <laughs> but the point is like, I just started calling people, emailing people. And I did not like, we had a great call. He was interested in me somewhat. And I actually had an opportunity to go to the Bay area coincidentally and I emailed him again and was like hey I'm in the area like do you want to meet up and he did take the time to meet with me oh, and awesome. it was just clear that there wasn't a role for me and like whatnot but like for there are kind of a few reasons that was a good thing for me to do number one is like I put myself out there and now I have like this random connection to this guy at Khan Academy his name's Adam Greenberg I believe and he's great um the second reason I I think it was a good thing for me to do is because like it just started building my confidence and cold emailing people and like figuring yeah. out what I wanted to do. I was learning so much from doing these informational calls. Um, and so I just kind of kept doing that, kept doing that, kept doing that. And I did not have a game plan when I left. So like I passed my, I, I wanted to pass my qualifying exam because it's like a good milestone. If you leave after your qualifying exam, you can at least like say to someone else, like, Hey, I passed my quals. If you want to go back, you kind of can, cause you've like proven yourself. So I left after my quals and didn't know what I was going to do. I just moved to the Bay area. <laughs> awesome. And yeah. what, so like part of what you were looking for was that you wanted this flexibility. You wanted to sort of like be able to structure your day. Were there any other things that you were sort of like looking for in those first couple of months? Like I guess months after you left. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to work with students. I was pretty sure of that. Like even while I was in my grad program, I was volunteering at this like uh, 
homeschool co-op slash like independent learning center. Um, yeah, so I, I was pretty sure I wanted to work with students. And I just started embedding myself in places um, that like you'd find serendipity. And, and I, I really believe in that. Like you have to build your own good luck by just like, you got to start by like volunteering. And so I volunteered at this place in New Haven. It was fantastic. And then when I moved to the Bay Area, I immediately started tutoring kids one-on-one because -on -one I needed to make money. And it was like kind of in line with what I was interested in. But then I also started volunteering for like reading centers. Um, and I was working with this student who was like seven years old on like how to read. And like, this all sounds like really banal, but like by putting myself in these situations, I built up a reputation in like the Stanford area. And like, um, I had a few connections there and someone was like, oh, Stacy, Stacy's really interested students. And there's this company over here that's working with students and they're looking for their first hire. Like, like let's sync them up. It wasn't as, you know, streamlined as that, but, but that's the basic premise is you have to put yourself in, into situations where, um, you'll get the good luck you want. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you got connected with this person at Polygens and what was that sort of interview process like? Yeah. So I should take a step back and say, really how it went is someone was like, oh, Stacy's interested in students. And there's this new company that works with students in a new way. Maybe she wants to serve those students. And that was Polygens. So I actually started as a mentor at Polygens, working with a student one-on-one -on, -one on an independent project. So I wasn't hired. I was a contractor, but it was like clearly in a space I cared a lot about. And then I made it extremely clear to them that I thought the program was awesome and that I was willing to help in any way I could um, and so like I I interviewed with the founders because it was only two people at the time and um, I became a mentor and I was in touch with them and we would get lunch like once and then the pandemic you know lockdowns happened and they called me and they're like we have so many students coming because the program is all online uh, and that was intentional from the start so they were like, we need help. Do you want to come help? And honestly, I didn't even have an interview. Uh, that's not the case. Today. If you want to work at Polygens, there's like multiple interviews, but I just had already proven that I could help them through my volunteer work, basically, and the contractual work that I was doing. So, I mean, that's really how you get your foot in the door is you just have already proven that you can do the thing that they need done. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I feel like you you that to some extent it takes like a lot of bravery to go be what sounds like the third like the first employee the third person working at a startup how did you like were you just sort of like all in not worried or did you have concerns and like how did you grapple with that yeah that's a good question i was so excited um i think you have to be able to be the first employee especially like they're looking for like are you aligned are you um, are you going to stick around kind of thing? Um, so I was so excited. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I did not ask like the questions that I would have asked today if I were to join again. Um, but it, it just seems so such a natural fit. Um, and I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. One thing that's like not, wasn't obvious to me is in a startup, especially early on, like there's so many things that need to be done and there's no one to do them other than yourself. And it takes, it's a lot of nitty gritty, like you might even say it's boring, but like, you know, it's just like grunt work that you got to do. 
And over time, it becomes automated. So if you're the person who's like doing this manual process over and over again, you get to be kind of like the like Imagineer behind, like building out what does that look like so that you don't have to lift a finger. And uh, that is like, a, I think, a really fun and rewarding experience because you see like this work that you've been doing over and over again, just like totally get lifted off your plate and you get to take on a new project. And that's what I, I absolutely love. I'm always taking on like new projects because something's been automated away. Oh, that's awesome. Let's jump in a little bit on sort of what your day-to-day looks like. Can you tell us a little bit about like either what a day looks like or if, if it makes more sense, what a week looks like? Yeah. Um, it might be helpful for me to start at like what it looked like when I first joined and how it's evolved to today. Cause I think right now it would be, it would just sound like a chaos. <laughs> so I started you know, every day at Polygence, I'd be interviewing students for the program. Like, hey, are you a good fit? Let's talk about your interests. Or I'd be interviewing and recruiting mentors and being like, hey, like, have you worked with students before? Tell me about your background. What's your expertise? How would you work with a student one-on-one? You know, most people don't have that experience. So like vetting them. And then I would match students with mentors. So I'd be like, okay, this kid's interested in Alzheimer's and this kid's interested in sports analytics. Like we need to find the right pairing. And then I would make sure the program runs smoothly. So I'd be like emailing parents, like, hey, how's your kid doing? Like, do you have any feedback for us? Be emailing mentors, like mentor would be like, hey, my student didn't show up today. Like, do you know what's going on? So like really like just day-to-day operations, like making sure the program ran smoothly. And as we've grown, we've gotten more students in the program. I basically hired, like we've hired myself out of all of those jobs. So now we have a head of mentoring who recruits mentors. We have a director of admissions who interviews students. Um, We have student success uh, managers who like make sure the program runs smoothly. And so my job day to day now is like hiring people, which is actually a huge part of being in a startup. You're constantly growing. So you need to spend a lot of time interviewing people. Um, So I do a lot of interviewing. And then I'm in just a ton of meetings, like taking temperature on what's going on and giving my feedback because I've basically run every part of like the student experience. And so when people are automating processes or deciding to roll out a new program, I have like the background knowledge to say, oh, well, how will this fit in with this arm of the program? Or like, you know, if we automate that, like kids are gonna get confused because there's this other email that gets sent out. I'm I'm there to kind of like help orchestrate um how the program is run by by other people which is uh, something I've never done before I wouldn't say I'm very good at it but it is very fun (laughs) awesome and so how like what what are your hours like yeah so when I joined I worked all the time especially like late hours because that's like when mentors are available they're in their own kind of nine to five jobs so I was interviewing them in the evenings and I worked on weekends Um, And now we've grown enough that um, I still work crazy hours, but like I now view the weekend as the weekend and like maybe I'll pop on and, you know, check on one or two things, but it's nothing like what it used to be. So I would say like we're a company of 25 to 30 employees right now. And I'm sure if you talk to any of them, they'd be like, this is a hustle, but it's like nothing compared to what it used to be. Um, It's a a really nice stage because you're doing a lot of work. And you see the fruits of your labor so quickly. Yeah. I think in big companies, like your effort is just like a small part of a larger organization. And it's really hard to understand how your piece contributes positively. 
Um, but at a startup, it's like it's immediate gratification all the time because your work immediately gets you know put out and um, you can see the fruits of your labor kind of within a day's time, honestly. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, that suggests that that's maybe something that you like about your job. What are some other things that you you like about your work? Yeah, I a few things. I really love our team. And when you work at a startup, you usually um, get to be involved in building that team, especially if you're kind of in the right place at the right time. So it's been really fun to find the people you want to work with. Like usually when you, you get hired, you're like, okay, here's the team. Like, do you like them? And in a startup, you're like, okay, here's like a few members of the team. We need to like hire a few more people. Like, like, let's figure that out together. Who, who is the right person? And that, I mean, I love everyone on the team because of that, because I've helped hire almost, you know, at least half of them. Um, and I, um, I love the variability. Um, I love like, I don't have like a fixed problem I'm supposed to solve. I kind of like oversee a few problems that are, that need to be solved. And then I love like helping tackle it. Like I, I love pitching a proposal, like here's this issue, like, will this fix it? Yeah. And like, we'll tear it apart and be like, no, like we need all these other things or you need to take that out. But like, I love like the quick iteration, which is nothing like school. Like when you're in school, it's like write the best paper you can. And you only show it to someone once you think you've written the best paper you can. And like, if you're lucky, you get a professor or a teacher who gives you good feedback and then you like throw it away. Um, <laughs> but in a startup, it's like, okay, you got to just like pump something out quickly you get tons of feedback, you put it out to the world, and then you get tons of feedback from the world and you keep iterating. And it's, uh, as I said, just really, really rewarding and so different from what I was used to in like grad school and just school generally. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that being very rewarding. And so I guess on the flip side, maybe what's something that you can see someone not liking about your job, even if it's not something that necessarily bothers you. Right. Um, things change like every day. So a good example of this is we're hiring someone basically for a customer service role. Um, and the job title, like something as small as the job title has changed like six times in, you know, four days, you know, um, and that can be really frustrating for some people. Like some people just like want to know like what is happening and like execute, but uh, a startup happens on such a short time scale that things fluctuate a lot and changes are made every day. And so you think you know what's happening and then it like, you know, you get into a meeting, you're like, oh, I'm getting caught up to speed on what happened since I was in this other thing. Yeah. Um, and so I think that can be, a, it's not for everyone in that sense, but I don't mind it. Uh, it's just like part of the nature of the job. And it, I think it's reflective of how fast it moves and how much gets done versus like, um, you know, it's, it's not a product of um, poorly run, poorly managed. It's a product of like, we're trying to figure this out as we go along and that means iterating. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that I've heard from a number of people sort of like in the startup world is that like a startup is a startup and then it 
becomes like an established business and like then it's not a startup anymore how do you sort of see that transition for you as someone who seems to really like working in a startup environment how do you sort of see yourself adapting to that yeah I realize that's a curveball question that I didn't know no, it's, <laughs> it's a good question because I don't Polygens is just transitioning to like we're like ramping up we we're around 25 employees and we're about to go on like a hiring spree it feels like and so I feel like I'm in the transition between the two although like even 100 people is still considered a startup um I think what's hard about the transition at least is like everyone's trying to like figure out okay who's like how do all these pieces come together like you know, when I first started, it was four of us. And it was like, okay, obviously Stacy is doing this thing because, <laughs> or like obviously Jin or Janos or, you know, one of our co uh, engineers is doing this thing because there, there's only like four people. So we just distribute it. But now that we have like a head of marketing and we have a head of product, but I also like have a student success manager and like who, who should be taking on what and who should be uh, providing feedback on what is really hard and can make it feel not bloated, but like, it's just a little awkward kind of, as you grow, you have to figure out, you know, where everyone should sit. Um, and yeah, I think you're right that at some point it becomes so big, uh, it, it becomes to feel like a stagnant fixed company. And I know a lot of people don't like that and love doing like the startup cycle. Like they join a startup, they do it for however long, maybe a few years, five, to 10 years and then they're like okay I'm out I'm doing a new startup because they like love that energy and then some people are like no I love this company and like I'm gonna stay here forever and even grow it to like it's IPO uh but like you got to be cool with both sides of the spectrum um one one piece of advice I've seen is like you should work at a startup work at a really really large company uh kind of get experience in both for a short period of time and then kind of like figure out how you want to contribute value in like the business world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so as someone who like pivoted from academia to like an educational startup, one, like, was that a path that you expected for yourself? And well, let's start with that. Okay, is it a path I expected for myself? Uh, no, I, I like really had no idea. I think I was mentioning this earlier. Like I, I never like, maybe until I started Polygents and it's, it's questionable still, like I've never really thought about like a career arc. I think some people um, like start thinking about this quite young. Like if you're gonna be a doctor, especially like you kind of, you usually figure that out sooner rather than later because you have a lot of school before you and you kind of start mapping out your career. And although like, I'm sure if I talked to a doctor, they would say, oh, no, I didn't start mapping out my career until I like became a doctor and realized like all these other positions that open up once you become a doctor. So I don't think definitely not something I expected or planned, but it like makes sense to me now because I was like, oh, I wanted to be able to like, quote unquote, work for myself, meaning like take on projects, execute them, like not just be a small cog. Um, yeah. yeah. And do you feel like your sort of like priorities have changed since you like first applied to graduate programs to now in terms of like what you're looking to get out of your working experience? Yeah, 
I'm an only child. I'll, I'll, this will make sense in a minute, but like I'm an only child. I always like gravitated towards very, um, like I hated group projects in school, for instance. Like I wanted to do everything by myself, which is really kind of obnoxious, but um, I, I blame it on being an only child. And so I like academia seemed kind of like perfect for me because it like people talk about how isolating it is. I was like, oh, that'll be great. Like I love just doing whatever I want. Um, but what I've learned from working in a startup is I, I actually do love working in a team. It's just that I had never done it before. I, I didn't even do team sports in high school. Like the closest I got was cross country, which is a team sport for everyone listening, but not like basketball or baseball or volleyball. Like it's different. So um, I, I think your question was, um, Oh, now I'm losing it, but can you remind me of the question so I can answer it? How your priorities have changed. Oh, how my priorities have changed. Right. So I used to prioritize and like really seek out these opportunities that were more isolating is such a negative term, just like more independent. That That's the positive spin on it. Um, but it turns out I love working in a team and now I'm really interested in like, okay, who is the team I'm working with and like, what do they bring to the table and how can we work well together? Um, and it's, it's something I've only learned about myself in the last two years. Awesome. All right. So looking back at your career, what do you think is the best career advice you've gotten? Yeah, I think I actually got it at Yale. Did you ever take a class with Mark Oppenheimer? I know who he is, but I, I did not. Okay. He is not a full-time professor. He's like a writing fellow maybe I don't know he he this works in English yeah he does journalism work exactly and uh I don't know I, I don't even know why I went to one of his like career advice talks he was like doing something at the career center and I went and he gave the advice that I was alluding to earlier which is like you need to just like start putting yourself in a position to get good luck. He said like the best thing he did after grad school was just like take time. And he wrote all these articles and started sending them cold to like the New Yorker and the New York times and like, you know, other um, like uh, publications. And it took a while, but it took him about a year to finally get like, you know, at least one really positive response that started building his momentum. I don't know how quickly it took off for him. He now writes like books and, you know, works at Yale. So he's doing quite well, but um, he was like, it was just the best thing I did was take time to put myself in a position um, to get good luck. Cause he was in a grad program. He was in a PhD program, I think in religion. Um, and he was thinking, I think, about like the professor path. Um, but he was like, that's actually not the thing I love to do. The thing I love to do is tell stories. And I've gotten to do that through my religion PhD. But um, yeah, so it sounded bogus at the time. I was like, that's just like, not realistic. Like, especially if you're in a position, like when I was in grad school, I, I still have student loans and, you know, I was making very little money. And I was like, how am I gonna like, put myself in a position to find serendipity? Um, but there are ways. And honestly, the, the easiest way is to just start cold emailing people and like doing comp, uh, informational interviews. I think like that's like baseline, the easiest thing you can do. Then the second thing you can do is like, um, like start trying to solve other people's problems and like volunteering for their volunteering to help. Um, and like 
one way to do that is just to say, hey, I'm willing to help. Let me know what you need done. But most people don't know what they need done. So like the next tier is like, hey, I'm willing to help. Don't you need to solve this problem? Let me help yeah. you solve it. So those are like, I think the steps towards finding serendipity. Yeah, I love that. And what career advice do you have for people who are sort like in college now or sort of in their first year, couple of years after graduating? Yeah. One advice I would give myself is like, I, I was at this small liberal arts college. The career center was like fine, but it wasn't like bustling. And I think all colleges have this issue. <laughs> like I went to the career center at Yale and it also seemed to be like, you know, a little bit helpful, but not like what I needed. Um, there's a lot of people around you who feel like mentors who like are gonna give you career advice or like you could go to them for career advice. I think they're like the worst people to get advice from <laughs> because they, they only know what they know. And like, if you're, especially if you're still in school, what they know is, is like what's in school, uh, like what's in academia, what's in uh, like their arena. And you should, I think you should just start calling people, even in fields that you're not quite sure are right for you. So for me, when I was in college, I was like, I don't think I want to be a chemist at all. Like, I really had that thought. I just loved studying chemistry. I think it's beautiful. But I was like, I don't know if I want to be in a lab all day. So what I should have done is start calling people who have these jobs and really, like, confirm that for me. And, like, yeah. there are really cool chemistry jobs. You could work at L'Oreal, like the makeup company, as a chemist. And, like, it's pretty hardcore and cool. Um, and I wish I called someone at the time to just, like, take my temperature on those kinds of positions um, and also start calling people in things that like I ne never thought of. Like I was not, you know, like I could have just cold emailed someone about finance or law or business or whatever. And I just didn't. And I think that's a, it's just good to start asking people who are actually in the position rather than like the quote unquote mentors around you. Yeah. I will say a fun fact is that one of the best pieces of career advice that I have ever gotten was from you. No, <laughs> seriously. I, when I, uh, this was like early pandemic. Um, and I was thinking about, like, I wasn't sure if I should apply to law school or if I should go take like an econ class. Like I, I was just like, I think I build some like quant skills or like maybe some coding skills and you're like Sarah that's great but um why <laughs> I was like that's a fair question and I don't really know and your whole like what you said to me was that you know the all of the skills that you build sort of like build out a vector for where you could end up and like each skill that you add is another data point and it's going to sort of like tilt your vector one way or the other but adding a skill that's like way out over there, is that going to actually like move your vector completely? Probably not. You need to like build a whole new vector. And is that like, what are you building towards? And that I thought was such good advice and like helped me take the plunge on applying to law school. So, wow. Yeah, I did not. I love that metaphor. I don't think I came up with that metaphor. That's like a great re-articulation of what I probably said. <laughs> It's so funny, like, you know, you might, you may not have remembered that conversation, but I definitely did. I remember where I was and I remember feeling the feeling I had afterwards, which is usually what I remember post-conversation. I was so happy to touch base with you again. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so before we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked you? 
Um, I love that question. I ask that to people all the time and I usually don't have a good answer it to myself. Um, I think um, we haven't really talked about like, like who you report to. I think like, especially if you're like, if this is really about like career building and working at a startup and like advice related to that, it's really important to know like, who are you going to be reporting to and like, what are their priorities and how do they work um, with other people? Um, I feel so lucky. Um, again, I didn't ask the co-founders of Polygens like almost any questions when I was joining. I was actually just looking at my emails with them from 2020 when I joined and it's like, I was just like, I'm in, <laughs> um, but it, I think I just got lucky um, that we all get along so well. And we actually have a lot of values that we didn't talk about post hiring me that it's a good thing we're aligned on. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's important to vet who, who you're about to report to. And I think like if they don't take it well, like if they don't take the vetting well, they're probably not a person you want to work for. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely heard that from like other friends of mine who are in the startup world that like reaching, especially if you're like working with someone who's worked at another startup before trying to find people that they worked with and like almost reference check them because, you know, people are maybe more likely to be honest with you um, and, and like almost like reverse interviewing, like not just totally. you getting interviewed, but you sort of interviewing them and not being shy about that. Because I think especially when you're like one of three people on a team, whether or not you get along really, really matters. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Reverse interviewing is a great thing to do. Even in the interview you're in currently, like they always leave, time. you will always be left time to ask questions and you should have questions. Like, not like, oh, tell me about like, uh, like how you got started. Like that's a good question kind of in the right context, but ask, uh, questions like, you know, what are your core values and which ones are shaky? Uh, or, um, ask questions like, um, tell me about a time when, like, that's a great starting phrase. So like, tell me about a time when there was a miscommunication problem and like what happened and how did you guys resolve it? Or tell me about a time when, uh, you know, there was, uh, you guys made a bad hire, like, how did you deal with it? Um, so I think a, a good reason to do this is because people are, when you're interviewing for a job, people are looking for a collaborator. Like they want to know that you can solve their problems and you can work well together. If you're in the interview, like not giving yourself to them and like really buttoned up, it's just like, not a great signal, um, especially at a startup. Like people want to know you can run with it. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Sarah, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Like what you're hearing? Take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast. If you want to be super extra supportive, share it with a friend. I also want to hear from you. If you have a suggestion for a specific guest or if there's a type of job, role, or company you'd like me to explore, let me know. Just send your suggestions to whatdopeopledoallday2022 at gmail.com. See you next week. <laughs>